Welcome back as we continue on. It's Jimmy B and TC, 1700 KBGG, minus the Jimmy B portion here today. But we kick off the 5 o'clock hour strong with our buddy Zubin Mahente. You see him on ESPN Sports Center, and he joins us here today. Zubin, what's the good word? Not much, not much. Uh, I'm trying to get fired up for this Thursday night game, <laughs> but it's tough. Um, you know, Ravens-Bengals is okay. I think... The Ravens opened a lot of eyes last week, or or maybe the Bills opened a lot of eyes last week, depending on your point of view. But it's NFL Week 2. It's almost College Week 3. Pretty amazing how fast it's going. Yeah, we got a little afternoon game uh, in college with Wake Forest and Boston College going on right now. And with that, Zubin, uh, the the cancellation of games, as I'm sure you saw, Iowa State found their 12th opponent for their matchup uh, that they lost in week number one was South Dakota State. Incarnate word, the matchup for the Clones. You know, I would say that I know there's probably been some head-scratching on who that is, but I think over the course of time, they actually have played a bunch of teams of Iowa State Pills, like a Power 5 team where you just go and have to play that matchup. But I would say two things in general, whether it's Iowa State searching for incarnate word, whether it's you know, West Virginia, North Carolina State being canceled, whether it's games being moved up. The one thing I would definitely say is I got to give two props here, in my opinion. And you tell me, you're much closer to the situation. One is, is pretty local and one's more of a big picture thought. The local is, I don't think there's a lot of ADs around the country, in my opinion, that would keep the fan base as abreast of what was happening in search of a 12th game as much as Jamie Pollard. Now, I may have mentioned this on your show before, my last story before leaving Denver, uh, Iowa to go to Denver, my last story at Channel 5, was actually uh, covering his introductory press conference when he came over from Wisconsin. And I always found him to be a pretty sharp guy. I followed him over the years. I love the It's a Cyclone State billboards, you know, and all that sort of stuff in eastern Iowa. I love that stuff. But I think if you were to ask most athletic directors, they would play this close to the vest because you don't want to be rejected school by school by school. You don't want to be rejected by the NCAA because Drake doesn't offer scholarships or other schools don't fit the bill, because that's just rejection after rejection after rejection that you're telling people about publicly. But I'll give him a lot of credit. I think what he's trying to do is, people, we are trying to get that game. We realize if we get to the Big 12 championship weekend, it could be a boot point in some ways, but we want the revenue, we want that game. We want the fans to be able to come out and experience that. I just don't think a lot of people in his position across the country would have been as open with the fan base as he was every step of the way. I'll give him credit for that. I mean, I don't know Iowa's situation, but when I covered Iowa, everything, Trent, I mean, everything, much less issues like this, was held close to the vest, and we'll just let you know when we want to let you know. Right. And I think Iowa State's a little different. Second more macro issue, I would say is um, there's been a drumbeat for this last couple of days from people in and around college football, and I think it's probably apropos. And uh, I've heard Dan Wolken say it. I've heard Andy Staples say it. It makes sense. I think you need to just build one more um, bye week into the season. Uh, the easiest thing to do is probably just start the season a week earlier. That would probably limit the amount of practice the guys get before the first game, which I guess the players would like. The coaches probably wouldn't. Um, but I think if you ask a coach, would they rather be disrupted on game week after you've been planning and prepping, and then at the end of the day, the game is either canceled or postponed or moved up. You know how much control freaks coaches are. I think, yes, they wouldn't enjoy having less practice time with their team if they had to start the season early, but I think they'd probably take that versus upsetting the apple cart when they're so detailed and regimented throughout the course of the week. Now, obviously, this is Mother Nature. There's nothing you can really do about it, but you can probably help yourself 
by adding a second bye week. And the thing the second bye week obviously does is you're not taking away the bye week from a team. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. in this situation, uh, if two teams are on the same bye, perhaps they could meet up again, but that's a happenstance thing. If you happen to throw the second bye week in there, there's a better chance that one of your common opponents would have that same bye. So I think it's one of those things where it, it, it's worth maybe saying 12 games in 14 weeks instead of 12 games in 13 weeks because then you could have the bye, and then if you possibly had to play on that bye, you would still have a second bye. So it's not like you'd have to play the entire season without a break. I don't know if that would happen, but I think it probably is worth exploring. Yeah, I, I think it makes a whole lot of sense, and be it on the front end or the back end, and, and move the conference championship games back a week. That's certainly a possibility that could be there, Zubin. But in today's era of player safety, where it is ultra-important, and as we learn more and more about concussions and about head injuries and just injuries in general, we're still talking about young men, 18 to 22 years old, out there playing this game. And with it, adding an extra bye week in there, the flexibility that you add coupled with possibility of guys getting healed up at different points of the season I think it takes it uh, makes a ton of sense and, and that's another thing the NFL you know as they talk more and more about going to possibly an 18 game schedule as we saw the preseason for a lot of teams it, it was a non-starter uh, we saw the Rams barely play their starters including their offense throughout the preseason because of that maybe the NFL goes to that kind of model stretches out the season a little bit more. Yeah, it's 18 regular season games, but we're also building two bye weeks throughout. They've done two bye weeks in the past. I think this is just something that, that frankly, makes a lot of sense for the players that are actually playing the game. Yeah, and I think from the NCAA standpoint, whether it's right or not, I mean, at at a certain point, two things are at play here. And I'm going to give them credit, whether they deserve credit or not in this regard. They definitely don't think or care what the public thinks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they've made some pretty tone-deaf decisions over the years, whether it's on individual players, whether it's on transfer rules. Um, they just make their decisions mostly by the letter of the law, and that's why the letter of the law is there. But I do think in some cases that it would really behoove them, in this instance, to just do what's right from a public relations standpoint. Um, because the league can grouse about, we don't want to lose a gate, this is the National Football League. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the players are in a much stronger position in the NFL than these student-athletes are in college. So, as you know, you can have your Kane Coulter say, what's going on, we're going to form a union. You can have Ed O'Bannon complaining since 1995, and he might be right about everything he's complaining about. But here we are in 2018, and honestly, other than maybe cost of attendance and a few other things, not much has really changed in that particular regard. But in the National Football League, the players have a much greater voice, and I think the league has to be much more careful about how they're going to approach issues with the players. In college, I think the NCAA knows without really saying it that the players don't really have that strong of an argument. They're not going to be able to band together. Uh, There's just too wide of a gap between Olympic sports, regular sports. Players are cycling in and out every four years. In the NFL, you're dealing with guys that might be 10-year vets and are looking out for the next generation or looking out for them right before they go. So I think the NCAA knows deep down that, yes, they want to do the right thing. Player safety is important. It's paramount. It transcends sports. But I think they also know at the end of the day that it's going to be a little easier for them to get their way with student-athletes because it's obviously it's a cycle-in, cycle-out situation. And the overwhelming percentage of student-athletes that don't play football or basketball are thrilled beyond belief to be going to college for free. And I understand, obviously, that the issue is football-related and soccer-related where concussions are a much bigger deal than in other sports. But I think getting everybody in terms of student-athletes on board in some uniform policy or manner 
is going to be next to be next to impossible. Whereas I think in the NFL they already have a players union. So I think deep down the NCAA kind of knows when it comes to this particular issue, they kind of have a big edge. They hold the hammer. Not that they're going to say that publicly, but I think they're dealing with a group of people that are far more vulnerable than their NFL counterparts. Zubin Mahete joining us here from ESPN. Zubin, you mentioned the NFL game tonight. It's all right. How's the uh, the more working on the NFL going? It's just a week into it, but are you enjoying diving uh, even deeper into the pro game this year? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, and from a TV perspective or from a radio perspective, what we really want to do is offer you something that you really can't get elsewhere. Like, if you grew up listening to... Hawkeye radio shows, the biggest thing you want to hear after the game is you want to hear from people. And I think we're kind of taking that tact. Uh, Let's say you are a Chicago Bears fan. I know you're a Bears fan. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're a Bears fan that lives here, out here. Because, you know, there's NFL fans, as you know, everywhere. We're in a situation where, um, look, if you live in Chicago, maybe you watch NBC Sports Chicago. I guess they're the official cable carrier of the Bears, and maybe they have a post-game show. And, you know, maybe Pat Boyle or, you know, David Kaplan or whoever is on it. And that's great for the Chicago land area. But there's fans from all over the place that are waiting to hear about their team. And what we try to do is say, all right, we're on from 6 to 9 or maybe 6 to 30 or whatever the situation is. As you know, there's only a handful of those late afternoon games. So it's not like we're juggling a million things. When those games end, I think there's fans of those teams everywhere. There's fans of the Seattle Seahawks and the Denver Broncos that don't live in those two cities. So in week one, when the game is over, let's hear from Pete Carroll. Let's hear from Russell Wilson. Let's hear from Von Miller on his three sacks. Let's hear from Case Keenum on his three touchdowns and three picks. Let's hear from Vance Joseph. You know, let's hear from Cam Newton, Ron Rivera, Anthony Lynn, Patrick Mahomes. Fans are everywhere. And so I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to give them that. Because at that particular time, Football Night in America is definitely focused on their Sunday night games, uh, as they should be. And Fox is either in the OT, which is usually just highlights, or they're in the Simpsons, or CBS is in 60 Minutes, or uh, ABC is in whatever they're doing on Sunday night. So for us, what I think we have to do is we have to say, okay, people haven't been watching ESPN all day because the games have been on CBS, Fox, and now going to NBC on a Sunday. What can we do to bring them in on a Sunday? I don't think we have problems bringing in people Saturday because we have all the college football, but our, but our NFL doesn't hit till Monday. So our simple idea has been, okay, all these games are over. You definitely want to hear from all the head coaches and all the key participants, whether it's injuries, whether it's what they're saying, whether it's their first flush comments. Obviously, this early in the season, you're talking about new faces and new places, so there's always an adjustment period. How are guys fitting in? What's that like? How are the rookies? Haven't even really heard the rookies talk that much yet. Um, So our idea is just every time a game ends, take you to a press conference or take you to the locker room where guys are talking. Because as I've found from living in Iowa to Denver, growing up in New Jersey, now living here back in the Northeast, there are fans of everything everywhere. I think we tend to you know, lump things in and say Red Sox fans live in Boston and Iowa State fans live in Polk County. You know, it's just one of those, there are fans of everybody everywhere. And I think working here, I've realized that more than anything. And let's just try to serve those people. That's probably the best we can do in that scenario because you're up against the juggernaut which last week happened to be Chicago Bears and Green Bay Packers, and this week is going to be New York Giants and Dallas Cowboys. So uh, if there's something you can do to lure those eyeballs, we got to do it. Although with those two types of matchups, that's going to be tough. Those are four of the big legacy franchises uh, in the history of the league, but that's the strategy so far. Zoom it over to a little baseball, and I know it's maybe a funky time to be talking about it with us being uh, right in the middle of things with the uh, with the football calendar, but... 
after the Red Sox win their 100th game last night, they have the East, for all intents and purposes, wrapped up here. Races continue on. Oakland still just three back of Houston. In fact, Oakland just a game back now of hosting the wild card game against the Yankees. And then you have what's happening here closer to home in the National League in the Central with the Cubs lead dwindled down to one now with the Milwaukee Brewers. Is this setting up to be at least a fun race through the end of the regular season? And more importantly, from your perspective at ESPN, do people care? Oh, I think people definitely care because I think now baseball is in a point where it's worth paying attention to and listening to. Um, to a lot of people, you guys, I've listened to your show numerous times. I know you guys will never hesitate to lead with the Cubs because obviously the Cubs are a big thing, not just in central Iowa, but anywhere in the Midwest area. Um, for us, it's a little bit different because, you know, our goal is how do we take somebody like Trent Condon or Jim Brinson or Ken Miller that's sitting in a studio in Iowa and make them care about the Oakland A's, right? That's kind of our mission. You get to turn on the switch and say, hey, the Cubs and the Brewers are in a huge series. And a lot of your listeners are tuned in because they're already engaged with one of those two teams, most likely the Cubs. But we have to stand there and say, okay, we got viewers from coast to coast. What makes the A's interesting? And what makes the A's interesting is that uh, they have the lowest payroll in baseball on opening day, and they might win the division and or get the wild card. What's interesting about the St. Louis Cardinals? Again, in your area, there's probably some interest. Um, But I think for us, we have to mention what a great deal Mike Schilt has been. Um, what's the big deal with the Atlanta Braves? Well, they have a manager that at this particular point, even though he's a year ahead of schedule and is probably going to win the National League Manager of the Year trend, has no guarantee for next year on any sort of deal. We have to make people care about Shohei Otani, which is probably a little bit easier because of his dual threat, but the guy's probably going to undergo Tommy John, probably, if he chooses to, yet he continues to hit home runs. The Yankees, to your point, are probably going to win 100 games, too, and what do they get for those 100 games? <laughs> they get a one-game playoff to decide whether their season is going to continue. And they might have to play that one-game playoff 3,000 miles away from home, win it, and fly 3,000 miles back and play the Red Sox. The Rays are out of it, but their mocked relievers as starters routine might actually yield a winning record this year. Jacob DeGrom has eight wins, and he might end up being the National League Cy Young Award winner. I threw this out to Keith Olbermann this morning, and I said, think about all the things me and you just talked about, Trent. He's a huge baseball fan, way bigger of a fan than I'll ever be. And said, think about the things that I just talked about there off the top of my head. What about just doing an essay on how wild baseball has been? I mean, the Rockies have never won the division. They're now in prime position to win the division for the first time in their 25-year history. And think about just those things I mentioned. I said to Keith, and listen, you follow this way closer than me, what about doing an essay on how bizarre baseball has been? And I even gave him a date. I said, why not do it October 1? Regular season ends Sunday, September 30th. A lot of these races, like you mentioned, Cubs, Brewers, Colorado, Arizona, the Dodgers might go right down to it. Houston, Oakland might go right down to it. And then let's do this essay on how great baseball has been on Monday, October 1st, right before we have our – this year I believe we have the National League wild card game on ESPN and just get fans wet their appetite. Because, you know, you guys follow it every day, but for a lot of fans, they're like, all right, it's playoff time. All right, the Red Sox are in. Okay, the Yankees are in. Okay, the Champs are in. Okay, now we got some familiar names in here. The Braves obviously have a huge regional footprint. Let's assume all four of those teams are going, which they probably are in some form or fashion. Keith, wet the fans' appetite. Get them going and tell them why this is such a special time of year. I'll let you know if that works. 
Um, I'll let you know what he thinks. I just sent it out to him this morning, and we'll figure it out. But I think that could be an interesting way, because think about that. Just what we talked about the last couple minutes, all of those things that happened this season, and I think all of those things are pretty interesting. Zubin, uh, to the NFL, and uh, as we kind of circle back to football, Aaron Rodgers' performance Sunday night was uh, nothing short of miraculous. It's it's what he does. But now, as they await the Minnesota Vikings, no official word. Mike McCarthy said this morning, this is no layup when he was talking about the situation that is sitting there. An incredible talent, but if it's close in week two, I understand it's a team that he got hurt by last year. It's Minnesota you know, coming to town, but but this is one that just frankly doesn't make sense Against this defense, you want Aaron Rodgers out there hobbling around? I believe the word McCarthy used today actually is a basketball term, if I'm not mistaken. He used the word, it's not a layup, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting cross-pollination to use of all things that he's going to play. Um, I actually think it's funny. There's a ton of attention here on Aaron Rodgers, and there should be, uh, depending on the severity of this and if he's going to be out there Sunday. Huge litmus test game against a team, like you said, that knocked him out, against a team that won the division, won 13 games. But I'm going to be honest with you. I definitely am interested in watching Aaron Rodgers because of everything that happened Sunday through this moment and how healthy he is. But I'm not kidding. I actually am more excited to see Kirk Cousins in this game because if it is mano a mano, I know, and I think it was proved Sunday night, that if Aaron's out there, eventually he's going to look like Aaron. It might take till the second half, but it'll be worth the wait if you're a Packers fan. If this is a quote-unquote equal matchup, if it isn't, look, I'm not going to say that if Favre doesn't play and Kaiser's got to get there, whoever they have as their backup is going to get out there, I would certainly expect Minnesota to be able to win that game. But if it's mano a mano, I actually think, even though right now the headlines are with Aaron and obviously that's the case, I'm more interested to see Kirk. Because if it's just a QB1 versus QB1, look, I definitely think after watching Sunday, I think Case is a good quarterback. I definitely think Kirk is an upgrade. Even if they don't go 13-3, and I think they're better off with Kirk Cousins, with that defense, being in the window that they have right now. But once they play Sunday, if both guys are out there, Trent, I think 95% of people will be keeping their eye on Brett Favre and his knee. I'm more interested in Kirk Cousins because this is the first, first of two, and it's only week two, of a lot of litmus tests for this Vikings team, especially with the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes and everything that happened and the move that was made and how it changed salaries in the NFL, and he got out to a pretty good start against another pretty good quarterback. I'm more interested, honestly, to see what happens with Kirk this week than Aaron, because I'm sort of convinced that Aaron Rodgers is going to be okay, because I've seen Aaron Rodgers be more than okay. <laughs> um, but I, this, this is a humongous spot for Kirk Cousins. It's just a week two game. You don't want to overreact to the point where people were overreacting about the Jets and the Lions on Monday based off one performance. I mean, the polar opposites about those two teams right now are, are incredible, and it's just the way we live right now. I mean, one game means everything, and we just look at such small sample sizes. But I'll be honest with you, while most people are watching Aaron, I, th- I, have, a, I have a closer eye on Kirk because I think there's something about this game that's a prove-it game for the Vikings to kind of show that, yeah, we didn't win this division because Aaron Rodgers was hurt. We won this division because we have a great defense, a really good head coach, and a quarterback we believe is as good as we've had in a really long time here. So I'm keeping my eye on Cousins. Good stuff. Zubin, uh, it is very interesting. I've seen an article earlier today, ESPN, and uh, some of the different things they're doing with the continued rounds of 30 for 30 document uh, documentaries that are coming out. Uh, I'm very pumped up. I know the last days of night has been out there. I haven't seen it yet. It'll make its television debut. 
When you look at uh, things, th- those kind of ancillary things that ESPN does, have you ever had interest to try to get involved, maybe putting together a documentary, something like that, to, to get involved in a different direction? I'll tell you what, the thing with the night thing is interesting. They, they put it on our streaming service, ESPN Plus, to sort of maybe induce people or entice people to go over there and, and, and watch it with a, tr- a free trial. And obviously, like you said, it'll be televised. Bobby is really one of those people that transcend sports and people have a very strong opinion of him. Either way, if you're of age, I think somebody that's 20 or 22 or 18 to 22, as you referenced earlier, I don't think they really know much about Bobby Knight. But I think anybody in that group that's where we are, or a little bit younger, or everyone older, knows who he is. So I'm actually looking forward uh, to seeing that. But it is available if there's anybody. I know you have a lot of college fans that watch. I know you're a big mm-hmm. college fan. It is available right now to watch on the streaming service if you want it. Um, but I would say the one thing about working here, Trent, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. Um, this place, one thing that you might be surprised because is how big it is, you know, and how many things are going on, eight networks, a radio thing, a magazine, a website, a streaming service. I mean, there's so much going on here on an everyday basis. It's really, like, mind-boggling to think about sometimes when you walk in. I remember sometimes I think about, like, tomorrow night I'm doing the midnight show, so I'll do, go from midnight to one, and then I'll walk out and say, wow, I put everything I had into that one hour, and that's one twenty fourth of one network of eight for one day. And then you start to feel really small when you walk out the door. But I would tell you this, this is the type of place that is so big yet so accessible. Like, Trent, if I had an idea for a 30 for 30 on anything, on anything, or a great feature story that we should do, I can literally, and this is the greatest thing about this place, this place is an open-door policy. If you, were, if you were to come to ESPN and I take you on a tour, I would take you around to, like, everyone's office. And they're like, oh, there's a senior vice president. Mm-hmm. His door's open. Oh, there's a senior vice president. Her door's open. Oh, there's the president of ESPN. Oh, there's the executive vice president of ESPN. Everything is available to any employee. Like, if I were to just email somebody and say, hey, can we meet here in the next month? Uh, people travel and all that stuff. You can do it. I'll give you an example. One story I'm going to pitch here soon this is the 35th anniversary of perhaps the worst college football game ever played. In 1983, Oregon and Oregon State played a 0-0 tie <laughs> in, an, in, a, a, in a horrendous downpour. And it just so happens my manager, like the guy that, that is my superior, my boss that does all my reviews and gives me all my assignments, by some incredible stroke of luck, he was at that game. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, listen, obviously we'll never have that again because we don't have ties. Right. We did have like a 0-0 game. It wasn't like Wake Forest and Virginia Tech played the like 0-0 regulation game a few years ago. But obviously because of overtime, they had to settle it and someone had to walk away with that win. Plus the fact that it was 1983. The video is probably insane. If it was 1983, the guys that are alive, let's hope most of them are alive, they're probably in their mid to late 50s. So everyone's still ticking. Everyone's still going. It's an annual game. It's a rivalry game like Iowa-Iowa State, although these two happen to be in the same conference. It's always played toward the end of the year. And for our purposes, Oregon might be pretty good. They have a huge game against Stanford next week. Oregon State is certainly rebuilding. So I said, hey, it's been 35 years. It's 0-0. We'll never see anything like this again because of the rule changes. And it was in a driving rainstorm. And it was in a rivalry game. And it was just inept. It was zero, zero. That's the biggest thing. I said, can we do a story on this? And it's working its way up the ranks right now. Now, is that a 30 for 30? No. Could that be a college game day feature on the final weekend of the season? It could be. Who knows 
who Oregon will be. Oregon could surprise. I don't think they're going to win the Pac-12 North. they got a couple of pretty tough teams like Stanford and Washington in there. But I think for any fan, if you were to say to them, hey, they went out there 60 minutes of the worst conditions ever, nobody could score, and they had to end it with nobody scoring, and yeah, nobody won that game, yeah, nobody lost that game. Look, at the Steelers and the Browns tie at 21 or whatever it was, that's one thing. But tying at zero is completely something else. And uh, that's possible. So those are the types of stories, whether it's an amazing figure like Andre the Giant or whether it's Bobby Knight or whatever the case may be, uh, the Brady Six, right, the guys drafted in front of Brady, all those types of stories. Michael Jordan had a huge uh, you know, documentary we're working on with him. Uh, it can be something as big as that, or it can be something as interesting and quirky as a 0-0 tie 35 years ago. We can go chase it. And if you have that idea, it can be done. And that's kind of the cool part about working here. It's huge, but when you really want to break it down, if you really have something that you think a fan or somebody at home would like, you can definitely punch it through. Um, a couple years ago, I, I mentioned to the guys, Brett Greenwood. I said, we've yep. got to keep an eye on Brett Greenwood. I had Pat Anger on Center, And I said, listen, you guys could do so much more with this. And obviously that was one of the best stories that we've ever done. I've never seen Kirk Barron uh, display that level of emotion. Even after he won that 144th game, I, he obviously got emotional. But I had never seen him as emotional as when he was talking about Brett Greenwood. And I think a lot of people learned a lot about Iowa. And, you know, before the wave, I think a lot of people learned about how much Iowa cares about Iowa football. So those are those things where you would think people are aware, but there's so much going on, Trent, all the time. Just drop somebody a note, no matter how big they are, whatever their title is. And if they like it, it can get on the path to getting produced. So I'll let you know about that 0-0 game. But if you got one for me, let me know. We're always looking for that, that sounds good. I definitely will do that. And hopefully when you had anger on, you had a little bit more than a seven-second delay. That that guy's mouth uh, can run a little <laughs> bit more. You know, he's got to be careful with anger, but he's a good dude. Hey, Zubin, we're out of time for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Trent. Thank you. That's Zubin Mahente joining us from ESPN. We're overdue for a break, but certainly take all the time you can with Zubin Mahente. He was great today. As always, coming back on the other side with more. We're talking Big Ten football next. Ken Silverstein joins us. It's Jimmy B and TC. Back at it here. Jimmy B and TC continues on. Trent Conan running solo with you this afternoon. Got Ken Silverstein waiting in the wings. Going to talk some Big Ten football. Ken, though, uh, before we get into the Big Ten and a big slate, including Ohio State out in your neck of the woods, going down to Big D to take on TCU, how does it feel to be there in Ohio and the unbeaten Cleveland Browns? I'm still recovering from all the rain <laughs> and uh, the uh, frustration of uh, on Sunday afternoon. Uh, basically, it took four hours to play four quarters and then literally a full uh, you know overtime period. And um, you know, I never thought I'd see Big Ben play as bad as he did. The interceptions and the fumbles. Um, not surprised, knowing the Browns and their tradition since 99, that they'd have a chance to win and have a blocked field goal. So uh, I left the stadium at about, let's see, the game ended at about 5 o'clock. I, ended, I guess I left a little after 6.30 Eastern time, shaking my head going, what the hoot did I just see and what do I really think about it? So now about four days later, give or take, I'm still confused, and we'll see what happens this Sunday there in New Orleans to take on Drew Brees and the boys. Saw there's T-shirts being printed, 
unbeaten, 0-0-1 zero, zero, uh, out there in Cleveland. Excitement with the tie at a game that they certainly could won. won. But we'll talk uh, more Browns, I'm sure, as the season goes on, especially if they can find a way to win a few games. But we're here to talk more Big Ten football. Let's stay there in your neck of the woods as the Buckeyes depart to get to Dallas, playing in Jerry's world against TCU. This team offensively has been playing at an incredibly high level. This will be the final game without their head coach, Urban Meyer. He's been back at practice this week. What's the conversation been about that? It's been pretty quiet, uh, to be very frank with you. Uh, this is his second week in this, I guess you'd call it sort of in-between. Uh, won't be officially back until Monday, which will be the week of the uh, Tulane game. Hello, uh, Cupcake uh, ball game before they jump into uh, conference play against uh, all those boys from Happy Valley, uh, White Owl National TV, and that's coming up on, uh, what is that, the 29th of my, uh, yeah, 29th of September, a little bit earlier than normal for whatever reason that Ohio State will be taking on Penn State in late September, then sometime in mid-third week-ish of October. So uh, not a lot of talk. Um, This is obviously a step up. I thought when the season began that this was the second best matchup of anybody in the Big Ten non-conference-wise. I think on paper, Notre Dame and Michigan was the best non-conference matchup, but this would be the second. How close it was to um, Michigan-Notre Dame on paper, uh, I don't know. I guess you could debate it back and forth, but um, assume I'm right, and this is the second best matchup. Uh, you got number four against number 15, a so-called neutral field, even though it's only about 20 minutes away from the TCU campus. Uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be close. Uh, I've seen the spread somewhere, and maybe you have it handy. I've seen it somewhere fluctuating between 12 and roughly 13. I think that's way too much. I think it's less than a touchdown. I think it's going to be like a three or four-point game. I've been waffling back and forth. I'm a little bit concerned about Dwayne Haskins' first big game on the road. At the same time, I'm not smitten with what TCU has defensively. They're they're really small up front and at linebacker, and I think they're going to get worn down by the bigger boys from the Big Ten. So I'm going to go with Ohio State, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think. Maybe 27-24, 28-24, something like that, but a very competitive game. Well, we finally got to see Nebraska play after their first game against Akron was uh, postponed or canceled, depending on your perception, because of the thunderstorm that went through in week number one. Adrian Martinez, now he was banged up in, in a dirty player play by the Colorado player that led to that knee injury. We'll see if he's able to go this week against Troy, but if they could keep him outright, upright, boy, Ken, he, he looks like an outstanding player and a nice building block for Scott Frost and the Huskers. Yeah, I mean, he was a highly recruited player, and you know I think I mentioned this last week, it came down Ohio State looked at him very seriously, but they got scared because of the shoulder problem he had in high school, and they thought they had somebody as good. We'll see if Matthew Baldwin, who right now most likely be redshirted, but what I've seen of him I like, but he's further down the road. They don't need to play him with Haskins and Tate Martell ahead of him, so they're going to put him in mothballs. So they ran away from Martinez. We'll see whether or not that was a mistake or not down the road. Tennessee then was the team... Um, but Scott Frost, to his credit, was able to flip him from Tennessee to Nebraska, and he's looked really good. He looked excellent in the spring game. More importantly, he looked really good uh, against Colorado. 
the question is, like anybody with that style of play, is how much are you going to get banged up and what kind of injuries are you going to suffer throughout your career? Obviously, he's not a straight pocket kind of guy, and when you run as much as he's going to run, there is a risk-reward factor in that type of game. But if you're, if you're asking me, which you are, is he a um, big-time college quarterback? Yeah. Is he an NFL quarterback? Well, at this point, I have my doubts. But for what they need him to do, he's going to be really good in Lincoln uh, for uh, the Huskers. Ken Silverstein joining us as we take a look around the Big Ten upcoming weekend of football. Outside of that, Ken, a strange slate of games. Maryland tries to go to 3-0 and against Temple. Indiana, they get Ball State. How about this one? Rutgers going to Kansas. Oh, oh. If you got the call oh. from the assignment desk, Ken, we're sending you to Lawrence to cover this one. What would be your reaction? I think it's time to retire. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I'm going to move it up a couple years and say adios. <laughs> I've had enough of this craziness. Uh, yeah, uh, let's put it this way. Chris Ash and Rutgers needs to win this game. Now, I know Kansas won last week. Mm-hmm. I get that. But they are the worst team in college football, okay, of a quote, quote, power five conference school, okay? Chris Ash is in what? You're number three, if my math is correct. These are the kind of games that Rutgers look. Losing to Ohio State, losing to Michigan or Michigan State or Penn State or Wisconsin or Iowa, whatever. If you're Rutgers, you sort of can live with that, particularly against the big boys in the East. But when you're facing Kansas and some of the others they have coming up in the next few weeks on their schedule, if they're going to get to a bowl game at 6-6, six and six, they've got to beat Kansas. They've got to find a way to beat Kansas. Art Sikowski, the freshman quarterback, comes from the major high school program down in Bradenton, Florida, the IMG Academy. He was a four-star. A lot of major schools wanted him. He's a New Jersey kid. Turned down some major, major football powers to come home. Got banged up by Nick Bosa last week. I think he's going to play from everything I've heard and read. Uh, Hopefully for Rutgers that he will. They need to win this game. They cannot. A Big Ten school, even as bad as Rutgers, cannot lose to Kansas. I don't care whether it's in Lawrence or in your backyard or mine. they got to beat Kansas. So hopefully for the Scarlet Knights and the Big Ten, who is off to a dubious start so far uh, in non-conference play, they cannot lose. The Kansas, and hopefully for Chris Ash, the head coach at Rutgers, they will not lose that game. Another team trying to go to three and zero is Minnesota, and I thought a week ago that it was going to end at one for a winning streak for the Gophers, but they beat a good Fresno team in there. We know the injuries that they're dealing with now. They lost Shannon Brooks before the season. Now another one, another injury as they lose Rodney Smith for the rest of the season. We'll see what they do with that running game, but. It's a slow rebuild. I get it. Are you a believer in what P.J. Fleck is going to do there? And do you think he can become, in another two, three years, a team that not every season, but once every four or five years is up there contending for a division title in the Big Ten West? I think his stuff works with the college game. I think if P.J. ever coached at the NFL level, that they'd look at him and go, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. But when you're dealing with 17, 18, 19-year-old kids who are away from home for the first time and are... I know when I was 17, 18, 19 years old, more than quite impressionable, let's say, the shtick works. And, yeah, the injuries have hurt. They're a very young at quarterback, but it's Miami of Ohio, okay? It's not Ohio State. Um, it's Miami of Ohio, Oxford, Ohio. Mid-American Conference, they need to win this game. They should win this game. 
They should win it by more than one touchdown at least. So they're going to go. They're going to go three and zero. And if you're the Golden Gophers, you're thinking, hmm. Let me do the math. Three and zero. We need six at least. We're halfway there. Where can we find three more W's at least at minimum between now and the wire? And you know, if you can get up to a three and zero start, and you don't lose a quarterback due to injury, and you somehow are able to keep your key guys upright, it gives Minnesota a really good shot at another bowler. So uh, I would be shocked if they lose this game. Miami of Ohio is not very good uh, when you look at it from the Mid-American Conference level. And so factor that in, they're 2-0. This game is what? This game is in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, yeah, this one should be pretty easy for the Golden Gophers to go 3-0 uh, and then start thinking about conference play, particularly in the West. Finally, uh, Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal today, he penned a mm-hmm. column where he ranked the Big Ten stadiums, 1 through 14. Now, admittedly, I have not been to the two new ones. I haven't been to Maryland or uh, or Rutgers to, to see those stadiums, and hopefully I'll cross those off the list in the coming years. What's your favorite stadium to visit, Ken? What, what do you think is the top of the oh, list? Wow, wow. Hmm, that is, a, you know, I saw the column. Um, but I really didn't think about it in my own opinion. I just sort of glanced at it and said, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, let me think. Nebraska's up there. I don't know if they're number one. It's a very unique setting. They're very loyal. They sell out all the time. Noise level is good. Pageantry is good. Tradition's real good. Maybe not over the last umpteen years, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Halcyon days, Osborne, Devaney, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Michigan, if you have never been, I know you have, mm-hmm. if you've never been to Ann Arbor, it's a little, I think it's a little disappointing. It is. It's yep. basically a huge hole in the ground. Yep. Um, noise level is not great. Um, I like Ann Arbor as a community. It's yep. a nice college town, but I remember going there the first time. This was in the eighties and I'm thinking to myself, it's just one big hole in the ground. that yep. fits a hundred and some thousand people. Um, I think Michigan is overrated. You know, I think a lot of people would have it up uh, real high. Penn State. Penn State's unique in that it's a very nice college town in the middle of nowhere. Okay. I'm serious. You need a helicopter in there to get there. Uh, It reminds me of Fayetteville, Arkansas back in the day. Fayetteville's a little bit better now because the area's grown thanks to a large um, uh, department store that begins with the letter W. I think we all know which one that is. That's based right there. Uh, plus a chicken company that begins with the letter T that's also based in that area. Uh, so that area has grown, and it's easier to get to Fayetteville. It isn't easy. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have. It ain't easy getting to um, uh, the home of the Nittany Lions, um, Happy Valley. It's as noisy as anywhere, especially for a night game, as Ohio State's going to find out in a couple weeks with their usual whiteout game. Um, it's a very unique setting. It's very, very loud. The press box shakes. Uh, I'm serious. Um, it reminds me of LSU uh, as one of the noisiest places in all of college football. But if I was going to say one, uh, I'm going to, again, this is so subjective. Yes. I've been to all of them, but I'm a little different than you. I've hit all of them, but one, and mine is also Maryland. Uh, I grew up around the Rutgers campus. So I know that area very, very well. know that stadium. Obviously, it's refurbished, but I know the area well enough that I feel like I've been there 
more than a few times and used to go there as a kid with my dad and my brother uh, back, I'm dating myself here, in the 70s and late 60s. So um, I'm going to say Nebraska. I'm going to say Nebraska. It's very subjective. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. Um, I love Kinnick because of the new tradition, obviously waving at the kids mm-hmm. uh, in the hospital, the cancer center. I think that's one of the best traditions in all of college football right now. I just wish Kinnick was a little larger, okay, from an attendance standpoint, meaning the number of bodies they could get in there. Um, you know, I just wish it was more like 90, 100,000, which it's not, which it was. Um, not sure whatever. I don't know if that'll ever happen. Well, Ken, um, Ken if, we, if we did have Iowa State, another Power 5 conference in our little state, I mean, we could make it 150,000 and be all right here. Yeah, no, I, and, and I get that. And, and <laughs> Yeah, and, and Nebraska's in a unique situation because there is nobody else. Neither is Wisconsin, neither is Minnesota. It's, yeah, and it, so... And, and Iowa's yeah, got too, I, I, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and obviously Iowa State's got their fan base and they have their stadium and they're loyalists and so forth. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm going to go with Nebraska. Again, there's no, there's no right answer. There's no yep. wrong answer. Um, if I was going to say one, I'd say Michigan. Let me think of another place. Purdue, um, they've been so bad for so long now outside of the Drew Brees era and the Joe Tiller era. Uh, they are starting to come back even though they're 0-2. Um, I watched the game Saturday on the tube against Eastern Michigan in the rain, and um, they seemed to have a really good crowd, and noise level was good, even though it was disappointing from a Purdue standpoint, and they need to win a game here or their season's going to get away from uh, Jeff Brown real quick. So I'm going to stick to my guns. I'll go Nebraska. But there are about three or four that are right there on the fringe with Nebraska. Good stuff. Hey, Ken, as always, good talking with you. We'll do it again next week. Look forward to it. Have a good weekend, everybody. Ken Silverstein joining us as he does each and every Thursday talking Big Ten. For me, look, i got to leave Iowa off. And that Graham Couch article from the Lansing State Journal, he does have Iowa number one, number one in the Big Ten for stadiums. Boy, and you get to the subjective nature of it. Ken's right. I found Michigan very disappointing. I've been to a huge Alabama-Tennessee game. I've been to Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I've been to a lot of buildings and 12 of the 14, as mentioned, in the Big Ten, half the Big 12, a couple SEC. In terms of sheer volume, it wasn't close. It was the Horseshoe, Ohio Stadium. That was number one. Now, the fan base is awful. They were absolutely terrible a couple times that I've been there. But in terms of volume, that was number one. I'll keep digging on this. like this stuff, though. Uh, just for reference, Couch, uh, he had Iowa 1, Camp Randall number 2, Michigan Stadium number 3. I think that's too high. Nebraska's Memorial Stadium 4, and the Horseshoe at number 5. Uh, we'll get some more thought to this. A lot of fun stuff. Coming back on the other side, putting a cap on things next, it's Jimmy B and TC. Trent kind of back with you one final time as we... Put a cap on things on a Thursday afternoon. As mentioned earlier, we got NFL football coming your way here in just a little bit. It'll be Baltimore in Cincinnati pregame show coming up at 7 o'clock. CBS Sports Radio will join at the top of the hour. Then tomorrow night, our Central Iowa game of the week with Waukee and West Des Moines Valley. We have that one for you as well. I'll be on the call with play-by-play with the Warriors and the Tigers. You and I football over the weekend. Kansas City Chiefs football over the weekend. Busy, busy stuff. For me, hey, it's back. 
getting into that Wake Forest BC game when I get home tonight. Be watching that. Be watching the NFL tonight. A little bit of baseball. It's a good night to be a sports fan. Enjoy it, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow on a football Friday starting at noon. Myself and Ken Miller as we are each and every weekday from 12 until 2 over your lunch hour and on your drive home right here with Jimmy B and TC. Thanks to everybody out there for listening in. Back at it tomorrow on 1700 KBGG.